Hello there and welcome to the Get French Football Preview Show. I'm Nathan Staples and joining me this evening are Adam White, Samuel Rook and Everett Devin. At this time of year, a lot of us like to give thanks. So in the spirit of things, thanks for all the wonderful football so far this season and thanks Celtic for provoking Paris Saint-Germain just a little bit last night. Then they decided to go a little bit crazy. But all of that and a look ahead to an exciting league act a weekend that could also be pivotal in the title race after the latest headlines. Paris Saint-Germain continued their 100% record in the Champions League this season, but did finally concede at the Parc de Prince. Celtic opened proceedings within 56 seconds through Moussa Dembele, but then let in seven as PSG romped to another victory. Last season's semi-finalist Monaco have fell out of Europe altogether, with a 4-1 defeat at home against RB Leipzig, with all the goals coming in the first half. That result means they can no longer even drop into the Europa League, the European dreams ending five months earlier this time around. Tonight in the Europa League, Marseille left it late to draw 1-0 with Konyaspor, which keeps their fate in their hands as they face Red Bull Salzburg on the final game day, needing at least a point. A point doesn't necessarily guarantee qualification. Nice secured qualification, however, with a 3-1 win over Zulta Varagem, with Mario Balotelli notching a brace, and Leon also booked their place in the knockout rounds with a 4-0 win over Apollon Limassol. And that's all for now, but for all your latest news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFM. We'll start this week in the, obviously, in our Europe and then the Champions League to start off with and that excellent result again for Paris Saint-Germain. And, and Adam, they maybe frightened us for a brief moment, but... In the end, PSG romped yet again to a really, really big victory. Yeah, they did, and um, it was it was a pleasing performance. Apart from that, I mean, Celtic perhaps played a little bit more open than other sides were at the part of the France team. And PSG enjoyed that because obviously they're the far superior force. And with Celtic playing, not not necessarily to come and try and play PSG at their own game, but they definitely didn't park the bus, as it were. And um, that that was suicidal a little bit from Brendan Rodgers. So but it was great to see PSG playing some some really great football, which hasn't necessarily been the case in recent weeks, although they've got really good results. For example, at Nantes at the weekend, they weren't great in winning 4-1 against a good team. I mean, the result flattered them a little. Um, and they haven't played that sort of that sort of sparkling football that we expect from them. So that was really nice to see. And um, it, it felt like a lot of players, you know, put in, put in good performances and the type of performances that we want to see them going forward in the Champions League. There's obviously the caveat to that, that Celtic, although, you know, they beat Andalek away 3-0, which is a very creditable result, um, and they're not exactly the, the standard opposition PSG are going to be wanting to be facing, or hoping to be facing later on in this competition, or at least expect to be. I mean, they'd love to play them in the semi-finals, that'd be great, but they won't. Um, so there, there, are, there are positives, but also they should, they should be tempered. Um, it was good to see sort of Neymar looking like he belongs again. I, I felt like in the last few weeks that... He, he's he's looked unhappy. He looks like he doesn't necessarily. I, mean, I know there's a lot, of, a lot of discussion to be had on that, but he doesn't look like he necessarily wants to be there sometimes in the first few games. And yesterday, he definitely did. He looked like part of the team again. He looked like you know the, the type of player that, that PSG bought. So really, really good result. And 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 you know to score seven goals in a Champions League game against any team, it, you know, is, is obviously a positive. So a good performance, and they keep marching on. It was, uh, you know, some 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 really good displays overall. Yeah, and, and Celtic have caused teams problems in the Champions League this season. They obviously gave Bayern Munich a, a stern test at their place in the in the previous match week, and uh, although they were tested by Anderlecht really on the other night, but the real question Sam really turns into now is: Are PSG real contenders for the Euro for the crown this uh, this year? I think they are, if for no other reason than many of the other sort of European superpowers seem to be a little bit out of sorts. I mean, we've seen Real Madrid not topping their group. Uh, does, of course, mean PSG could get them in the next round, but we don't expect that necessarily. But it does mean that Real Madrid are not what they were maybe at this point last season. Barcelona, too, look strong, but not invincible. Certainly far from the, the Barcelona of several years ago. That There are no clear clear favourites, I think, at this point. So PSG certainly have to be considered contenders. 
Yeah, and do worry for PSG topping the group because the Champions League nowadays, once you get into the knockout rounds, I mean, I'm looking at some of the sides that are projected at least to finish second and you've got Napoli, you've got Roma, you've got Real Madrid, you've got possibly Juventus as well. There's a fact that Manchester United could finish second, Liverpool could finish second. There's some really tough teams, isn't there really, Eric, that show that... Not only just the depth of the Champions League, but the, the task's still at hand, even though PSG have been excellent so far in the group stages. All right. I think that we're definitely worried about Real Madrid this season, particularly the former Cristiano Ronaldo. Anybody based in all of Spanish football has known there's been quite a bit of hand wringing over his form, in particular, and the teams in general. So there's definitely some potholes there. I mean, you know, we saw the same thing you know, facing Barcelona last season, how quickly a tie can turn how the quality is there even in these knockout rounds, even in the round of 16, that one shouldn't underestimate any opponent. It can, I think that PSG simply need to prove it. You know, we can sit here and pontificate about what might happen and where they need to go. But, you know, I think, especially with the investment this summer, this team really needs to be looking at the semifinals. Uh, I mean, the, the win over, or wins over Bayern or, you know, credit win over Bayern, sorry, is creditable enough, but, uh, the knockout rounds is still waiting to do it, and they still need to show it there. Um, so again, yeah, well done. It's it's good to show that they're retained focus in this competition. Uh, that it's not a close match, but I think that the knockout rounds are still waiting to show it. Yeah, at least they're showing that they're in good form. I think they've probably been better in the Champions League really than Liga in the season, which seems strange to say that they're still unbeaten there as well. Moving on to the team that didn't do so well. Um, this week in the Champions League, and that's Monaco, who have fell out completely. They can't even make the Europa League now after that defeat to RB Leipzig. And I'll come to you first, Eric, because I, I know you watched this, and I did as well. It, was, it wasn't the worst performance in the world for the first 10 minutes, and then silly mistakes crept in again, and it absolutely killed them against a team that you cannot make mistakes against a side that have such quick attacking players in their, in their lineup. Why does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, perhaps a bit of a role reversal there for Monaco from last season. Uh, yeah, I think I think this underscores a number of things. I think that you know how how much they miss some of those players they've, they've lost last summer, and how much also I think that uh, playing week in and week out is beginning to tell. I think that we look at Fabinho in particular. I think is a player who I rate very highly, but I think in this match he was pretty poor. Uh, his distribution is not what it was. His ability to cover is not what it was. Um, I think that the defense, I think Jemerson's another player who's sort of dropped off a cliff this season. His, and he, he was you know, perhaps a bit unlucky with the own goal, but it's, it's really difficult to see this. I think that um, the willingness to promote Hor- uh, George in left back, uh, I think is, is looking a little bit more worrisome to him. Again, I really like him going forward, but too often he can be overrun. I think that was the case in this game. I think that was the case in the loss to Porto where he was really dominated by Musa Morega. I think that you know there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for this Monaco team, but I think that this really harkens back to the team of 15-16, where after that um, that run in, in the Champions League in 2014-15, they had lost Marshall, they had lost uh, for Carrasco, uh, they were still they were they were a little bit out of sorts at that point. They were bloody in some young players, and they were yet to really coalesce in a way that made them uh, that formidable side we saw last season. So I think we're seeing a little bit of that. Uh, again, Lamar is a huge miss. We can't underestimate that his creativity his and his i think underrated ability to track back and well and offer a little bit more protection on that left side there so it's disappointing to see but i think that we i think especially given the strength of the group I mean, none of these teams are looking like they're going to you know destroy the competition but i think it should be if there's a sporting ambition at monaco i think it should be a sort of a wake-up call to say you know, if you want to sustain success uh, this constant turnover doesn't work from year to year they'd already proven that two years ago at that transition and i think they're proving it again that yeah making money is nice but in terms of a sporting ambition you're gonna leave people um, yeah wanting more and i think that i think the other thing too and i i'd like to ask uh, all of you this as well is that is Jardine playing with too much a sense of pride in trying to compete in the league and the Champions League? I mean, we have to realize that PSG, the players they brought in, were going to be, even before matches were played, the runaway favorite for the league. Should, should Monaco have put all their eggs in one basket as opposed to trying to 
handle both competitions. Sam, do you want to go into that one? I mean, it's tough. Uh, given what Monaco did last season, the pride that, that Jardim must have had coming out of such an excellent Champions League campaign, obviously winning the league and winning it at a canter. Obviously, they lost all these players, but they brought in new ones. Perhaps it was the, the pride that he thought he could just do it all again. Um, it would have been difficult to, to sort of abandon the Champions League and focus on the league, but perhaps the opposite might have been a, a, a more sensible strategy. After all, the Champions League is only six games in the group stage and the league title, well, as you say, it was always going to be very difficult to, to keep pace with PSG. And perhaps they have wasted some moments to maybe rest rest a guy like Falcao, keep him fit and firing. I mean, he, he wasn't at his best against Leipzig and how good he's been in the league. Perhaps if some of those performances had been in Europe, they'd be in a different position. Yeah, and I feel that that Jodim's not quite worked out what new formation his team needs to play yet either. I think that it's quite clear to him that the 4-4-2 isn't going to work, whether that's because of midfield, they can't really get a proper replacement for Timu Timu Bakayoko. I also think that Bernardo Silva's creativity is so difficult to replace and with with Ronnie Lopez out there, he's maybe looking to get in behind too too often and not create in front of players. That, That sort of holding them back from being able to play the exact same formation. And he's not really worked out how he wants to adapt that with Falcao, with Keita Balde as well in the side, trying to move the pieces around. He's not quite worked that out. But there's, there was one player that did make quite a few mistakes um, this week, and it's a little bit unfortunate for him, but it did seem almost like a regression, Adam, of, of the Jemison that we thought of two years ago, maybe not the one we saw last year. And I know you're probably smiling at the thought of it a little bit, but uh, he had a pretty poor afternoon, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with Eric that he has kind of fallen off a cliff this season. And I, I, I've sort of become to change my mind a little bit on Jemison. I think that, yes, he was very good last season in, in their, their fantastic season, obviously winning the title. But <clears throat> it feels like he may have been... He's obviously a talented player. I, would, I, I wouldn't want to, would want to do him down and do him a disservice because he's obviously a talented player. But this is a, it's a very, very high level that Monaco see themselves playing at. And it kind of felt like Jemison perhaps was in the right place at the right time to take that that centre back role alongside Camel Glick at the end of the season before last. Now, um, <clears throat> when there was a quite a big overhaul in Monaco's defence, they obviously signed. You know, there was a lot of turnover in the area, and he he kind of slotted in very nicely alongside alongside Glick. And although those two defended pretty well over the course of the year, Glick obviously was was brilliant. Um, he kind of perhaps nurtured Jemison through games, and there were there were sort of certain periods in 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 the season when they weren't really under that much pressure because they were so good going forward that it was the the classic case of attack being the best form of defence, and the defence were very rarely put under pressure and very rarely tested because Monaco sort of flooded forward and they they were so in control and with Bakayoko, Fabinho, and Mbappe, obviously they had they had so much ability in forward areas and so much of the ball was in their you know the final third of their their attacking final third and it's not like Jemison and, and Glick were ever ever really overrun despite the fact that Sidibe and 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 Ben Mendy would fly on you know there there wasn't there wasn't like there weren't sort of at odds with 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 sort of like a sort of a, a, an influx of forwards, they didn't have to do too much defending, and and <clears throat> that helped Jemison and perhaps maybe inflated his position in the team a little bit. And this season, without those, you're seeing you're seeing that mistakes are easily more easily made when he's put under pressure, and they you know if you isolate him, he can make mistakes there too. Now that they don't have that 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 attacking prowess that that keeps the defence sort of you know covered, if you like, um, his his shortcomings are coming a bit more obvious. I think. It would be a bit, maybe a bit harsh of me to write him off, and it sounds like I am a little bit, and and I'm not at all. I, you know, he's obviously still a relatively young guy, 25, and he's he's still got a lot of his career ahead of him, and he's, you know, he's still got a long way to go, and will recover. But in this in this this version of Monaco, perhaps he isn't the the centre back partner that Carol Glick needs to 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 keep Monaco secure at the back, and it, perhaps you know they somewhere they may look to bring in a younger player, or they may look to sign another defender, and either compete or even be above Jemison in the pecking order. So I, I think, think it's an interesting one. Though, oh, right? sorry. No, go, carry on, Eric. Go for it. I, as I, say, I think they made a mistake selling Diallo in the summer. I thought he really looked sharp. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Uh, go ahead, Adam. No, no, I was saying that's an interesting, it's an interesting point. I think that's maybe perhaps even if he stayed, we would see him making more... I was right. I mean, maybe even make him see make a few more appearances. Because um, in, in, Jemison's been pretty much ever-present this season. In fact, he's played 90 minutes in every single game apart from one suspension. 
So maybe that you know that's that kind of rhythm of that that strength and depth that they might have had, or the opportunity to bring in a young player, which obviously Monaco do really well. So I agree with Eric; that might have been an option. Maybe there are there are other options too further down the ranks in the future, and maybe they'll look to bring in a younger player there too to compete with him. But it's it's an area they need to strengthen for sure. Yeah, I think that's maybe where they look to go in January, or certainly next summer, as, as a few extra defenders. Because if I'm I'm just thinking now that I, if either Glick or, or Jameson do get injured, it's or Raji playing centre back really probably yeah. that's that's not enough cover and I, I think you made a good point there Adam about uh, Camel Glick maybe coaching him through games it reminds me a little bit of um, to probably a better name to English audiences there's a bit of Dad, there's a bit of David Luiz in in, in Jemison in that his positional sense can sometimes get ahead of him I think without Bakayoko there he's sometimes thinking that oh there should be a player stopping this player from going into this hole so I should do that job not thinking that he needs to hold his defensive line because it leaves Glick isolated or his fullback isolated. It's it's a number of things that maybe are, are holding him back at the moment. But he's turned it around before. <laughs> I always reserve too much of a judgment on a player. But let's go on to tonight's action in the Europa League. And uh, we'll start with Marseille, who are still in second. They're seven points in, in the group. They can't finish first anymore. Obviously, Salzburg have qualified, and that's probably handy that they get them in the, the final match day as well but Sam this was an interesting one really it's maybe a harsh penalty for Jordan O'Marvi to get sent off but he's given the referee decision to make and then a, an own Um, I think I've lost you there, but um, certainly this was a strange game for Marseille. They gave one of their better performances in Europe this season because a lot of those previous ones had been really very poor. Uh, but they seemed like they were more or less in control of the game and then to, to lose a goal, to lose a man in such a silly way. But then they showed what they've showed again and again this season, that there is a spirit around this team. They they don't give up and they're lucky to get an equaliser, but they're perhaps unlucky to to fall behind. So... It was an odd game. It was an odd game, but they've they've kept themselves alive, and that's all you can really ask for. The round of 32 beckons, and I don't think we expect Marseille to win this competition, but certainly they've shown again and again that they can at least hang about, and, and who knows how far they can go. Yeah, I think the problem with finishing second, is, especially in the Europa League, you're always in that pot where you might get a Champions League side, which makes it all the more difficult to progress from there. But Eric, what what did you think of this one? I mean, I mean... Again, it, they left it very late to sort of equalise it. And this was a, at least a better performance than we saw at the weekend at the uh, Matmut Al-Antique against Bordeaux. Does it still feel like there's just a little piece missing from this Marseille team? Yeah, I mean, I think that piece is, is Bafé Gomis, as much as I hate to say it. Uh, I think that we haven't seen Marseille develop a consistent, a consistent solution at striker. Germain... Uh, Muhammad Ali, friend of the show, mentioned on Twitter about how erratic uh, Germain has been this season in terms of his goals to minutes ratio. Mitroglu doesn't look like the answer. He's always been better played than the two. Uh, I think, and Clinton Energy's had his moments as well, but, you know, is he really work on his own up front? I, I think that uh, Marseille brought in, and if you include uh, the permanent signing of Angie, three strikers this season, all of whom have had success to some level in the past, but I don't think there was a level of cohesion there, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, the amount of goals Tovan scored last season was fantastic, but you really can't expect a winger to be contributing that much in terms of goals uh, in a season. I, I have a lot of time for Tovan, uh, especially in the last year or so as he's improved, but Marseille simply don't have the cutting edge and the finishing that they need to really succeed. And it's really a shame because, I, taking off on, on your point there, Sam, I think that under Garcia we, we've seen – on uh, more than a handful of occasions, uh, after going behind to Nice, uh, the draw against PSG in this match, this team really fights and really works hard, and there's really a good cohesiveness to them. I think the defense has been better than people would have thought. I think Amavi is still get progressing from that injury. I think you know we've seen, particularly with Fakir this season, just how long it really does take. I, it's it's really two years to come back from uh, from doing doing a knee like that. Uh, and I think that we're still seeing Amavi getting back to his best and being the player that, that Villa bought that, that uh, we saw at Nice. Uh, 
Um, so there's still more to come from this Marseille side. It's, but if they don't have someone who can get in the goals, uh, getting into the Champions League positions and getting to the level where they should be at uh, in this competition, it just isn't going to happen. Maybe they can rectify that in January and, and move up the table and, and move on in Europe. But until they do, I, I still am going to have doubts about this side. Yeah, it feels like they either want Matroglu to do absolutely everything, which you, it seems like he really can't, or they, they want Germain to do it. And I just feel with the players that maybe Marseille have got, maybe try and adapt a similar style to what Nice did with, with Germain when he was on alone, get someone a little bit closer to him um, in that centre-attacking midfield role, much like Hatem Ben Arfour's, and, and feed him the ball in the box. It, it just seems sometimes that Marseille obviously playing or Campos and Tovan most of the time is inverted wingers are sort of trying to get goals themselves. It is sort of maybe starving him of service. But let's talk about a t side that did go through uh, this week and that's Nice who put off a really nice 3-1 win over Zulta Varagam and, and a double from Mario Balotelli which is always nice for the Italian to get back on the, on the score sheet. But <laughs> Adam, in, in this one really, it was great to see Nice through and they'll finish. They'll definitely finish second behind Lazio but the talking point is the absolute wonder goal that Zulta Varagam come out. If you've not seen it, do hunt it down. It's a it's a for 35 40 yard free yeah at least yeah. it's yeah hammer lining isn't it the center back or the yeah. left back sorry it's, it's a wonderful goal isn't it yeah he just it just sort of it's, it's an absolute thunderbolt isn't it straight in the top corner just you don't you don't expect much you, you sort of one of those things where he's you can't be shooting from here this is he's in a different postcode and 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 he and yeah it's 40 yards unbelievable power on it and straight in the top corner it's a great goal yeah, I still can't believe it. I th I think what's so surprising about that that strike as well is it's just it's just so cleanly hit. It goes mm. with pace. It doesn't seem to change direction from other than it was almost like it was a homing missile directed to go in that top corner. But also in that game, great to see Mario Balotelli on the score sheet again and scoring goals again for this uh, this team, Adam. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's at home, wasn't it tonight? It's, it's it's another another couple of goals at home for Balotelli. It would be great to see him score a few more away from home. I think that's probably where his major downfall and his goal record is with with Nice. But yeah, if you get him scoring goals, you can keep him scoring goals. He's a real weapon, and and it's great to see him back on back on the score sheet. And he's so good for penalties, isn't he? It's, he's he's unbelievable. Obviously, he's unbelievably confident. And uh, I I I know he has missed penalties. I just can't I can't recall one off the top of my head. But he seems to be very very consistent in that sort of situation. And um, so yeah, great to see him scoring. And hopefully, Lucien Favre can can sort of will the best out of him in in the run up to Christmas. Yeah, and it's an interesting one for Nice left in, in the competition. I mean, they they are struggling in the league at the moment. They're only one place above the drop zone, but they've they've been pretty decent in the Europa League, uh, bar the the Lazio games and there'll be an interesting side maybe going forward as well and the other team from France did progress this evening uh, and it was a, a good performance again from Lyon Eric I mean they were a little bit stifled at the weekend against uh, Montpellier side that have done that to pretty much everyone this season but this was a nice solid performance professional getting the result they needed yeah I do worry about the injuries to Jeremy Morel and Bertrand Traore both of them had come off in this match uh, Traore in particular, I think that the drop-off in quality, if you're looking at Maxwell Cornet or maybe playing um, Awar on the right, uh, I'm a little concerned about that going forward. But yeah, it was. I, I think that we see Nabil Fekir back in the side versus what he was missing at the weekend in the draw against Montpellier and what he brings to the side in terms of being the focal point and involving his teammates. I think that as, as impressive as the likes of Memphis, Mariano, Cornet, Traore all can be, they all can be a little bit selfish, um, whereas I think they recognize the place that Fakir has in the side and how he really is sort of the sun around which they orbit, if you want to use an astro astronomy analogy there. Uh, and I think it I think it really makes a difference. And um, they're they're unselfish in their play and they're more giving, and it makes Leon, you know, play that much better. Uh, so again, managing Fakir going into uh, 2018 with uh, Leon entering the Coupe de la Ligue and the Coupe de France and progressing the Europa League. It's going to be a challenge for Bruno Genesio. He's not a player who can probably play every match, but I think for the time being, I'm very pleased with Leon. I think that's six matches in a row they've kept a clean sheet, uh, which is also an impressive statistic. We look back uh, those draws against the likes of Angers, Bordeaux, Dijon back in the league earlier in the season. They were conceding goals too much and dropping points. Now you think about, well, where, where, where would they be now if they'd won a couple of those? They'd be you know, probably a firm favorite for a second, given the form Monaco ran. But 
yeah, well done to Leon. Um, I, I think that it, it's it's been generally a good Europa League, uh, minus Bordeaux's exit uh, for the French entrance into it. Yeah, and it's important, I think, for for Leon to, although obviously not to put too much pressure on him, but uh, Hasinawa possibly debutizing when Fekir give him a little bit of a rest every so often when they can, especially in those cup games. His uh, his ascendance might really help them in that that position going forward. Uh, let's look ahead now, really, to a, an exciting league on weekend that includes a couple of derbies, a couple of top table clashes. But the team we need to start off with, and they they face Montpellier at the weekend, and that's. Lille. Um, it's been an interesting couple of uh, nights, shall we say, for, for Lille. Sam, it's, it's, a, it's never not interesting, to be fair. And let's clear up what's happened so far for those that are unaware. He's been uh, um, suspended with immediate effect yesterday after an internal inquiry was launched into a situation, as they put it. It's a, it's a little bit vague on the ground. Supposedly, according to a lot of French media, Bielsa's fallen out with the sporting director, Luis Campos, who has been linked with a move to Chelsea recently as well. The players aren't impressed with his formation and that the, the necessities and playing players outside of their usual positions and the, the coaching staff have a poor relationship with them as well. Um, supposedly, it's, it's unclear what Lille will do at the moment, whether they'll keep him or not. Bielsa reportedly is demanding 12.5 million euro payout to leave the club. And also, there were reports in Spanish-speaking sources that Bielsa um, was suspended for an unauthorised trip to Chile in order to visit Luis Maria Bonini, his uh, fitness coach, who uh, currently is very ill with cancer. But those reports have also been contradicted by French sources. So believe what you want to believe on that kind of front. But Sam, it's, it's a little bit crazy, which <laughs> would, would only follow El Loco, wouldn't it? But it's... Strange timing, given that Lille, yes, lost three 0 on Monday to in that rearranged game to Amiens, but had won their last two games and, and had shown signs of improvement. And they had done, uh, and they have to kind of feel a little bit hard done by, given this was the rearranged game that they were winning one 0 when it was abandoned because of the collapse. Certainly, nothing their fault, out of everyone's control, obviously. But if you're Lille, you're looking at this replayed game, you end up losing three <clears> nil. That's got to really, really frustrate you, but. This, this Bielsa stuff, I mean, it's it's very strange. I mean, if the players are surprised that Bielsa is playing strange formations and playing players out of position, I think they perhaps should have done their research a little more because that's very much his, his way of doing things. Uh, saying that, normally, or at least you can excuse that kind of thing if the results come and the results haven't. But as you say, we had seen... The recovery period and it seems a strange moment to pull the trigger if that's all we're seeing here if this really is just a matter of the club trying to get rid of him and trying to seize on this perhaps he went to Chile uh, to visit a dying friend or some other reports saying he was actually in talks over taking the Chile job again um, it's all very strange but Certainly French media seems to be more or less convinced that he won't be returning. Uh, they're talking about replacements. Uh, Oscar Garcia just left Saint-Étienne. He's being talked about as a potential replacement for Bielsa. And all this progress we had seen from Lille seems to be just, just going backwards at a rate of knots. Yeah, I mean, it's been simmering sort of under the surface all season, Adam. Of, there was a long stretch where they obviously didn't win a game and then they started to maybe pick up. The Monday result, I, I put that aside a little bit. I mean, they were winning that game when it was called off originally. And to play, a fr I know Amien obviously had to do the same, but playing a Friday and Monday can throw up all kinds of things, really. But it's on such short notice as well. Um, but is this the end, do you think, for a loco? And, and also... Does it feel like the right move for the club going forward? Um, I think yes, it is the end, and no, I don't think it is the right move. I think I think this, the, the thing that annoys me about this whole situation is it has a it's a feeling of inevitability about it. That that yes, Leo have been pretty poor for most of the season, and um, I, I I'm I'm I've been said before in, in, in the article that Eric and I do uh, for for the Guardian on on, on on Mondays that you know it may be it may have come to the point where you know they kind of have to get rid of him because they were so poor they they and they didn't really want to and perhaps that wasn't necessarily the way it would go um, because you know he's kind of their centerpiece kind of their marquee signing isn't he for a club <clears throat> for a club like Lille you know he he is he is that philosophy that they've kind of used they've sort of started. 
with, with this lost gun limited situation but I think that it just, it just felt like it would always happen. It, it's just, it just seems like this is the way Bielsa's career and any job he, he has has to go in that the, the form fluctuates or in this case is really poor and then something bizarre happens in which involves a falling out with someone or you know an odd situation that involves him, him getting upset and getting up, upset with, with, with a member of the board and him, him sort of being edged towards the exit door. It just it has a feeling of inevitability about it. And I have a feeling that this is... I, I don't know the situ necessary situation of Luis Campos and whether that's, that has anything to do with it, whether this is sort of an, something of his, his making or something that he wants to happen to see, see Bielsa go. I, I'm not 100% sure on that, but it, it kind of has a feeling that this was always going to happen and that, you know, both Campos and, and, and Mark Inger perhaps realised more than Gerard Lopez perhaps would that, that the, the, the Leo project with Bielsa at the head might not work out the way they all hoped it would. But then having said that, the wins over Sinetian and the, the previous game, which I can't remember off my head, Mets, um, you know, they played really well in both those games, and particularly against Sinetian last weekend. They were, you know, they, they looked, they were, there was sort of all, all action again, and it was intensity was up, and they scored six goals over the course of those two games. Obviously, Mets are terrible, so that's not necessarily the, a point in their favour, but they were good. And, you know, it felt like they maybe had miraculously turned a corner. But to have this then to come, you know, to fall on them, it really feels like, you know, this is just the way it was always going to go, which is, which is really disappointing. And I, 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 I wouldn't, don't want to see, want, don't want it to go at all. I, I really want Leo to do well under Bielsa because it's great for French football. And it's great for football in general, to be honest. But I have a feeling that I don't know how this is. As you said, it's very vague, but I don't know how they repair this. And I think we may have seen Mar the last of Marcelo Bielsa in, uh, at Leo. And the question turns, Eric, and I'm maybe going to catch a bit of flack for this question. So all football hipsters uh, pop your caps down and be a, a little bit frightened about this next moment. I mean, since we really came into our Marcelo Bielsa when he when he was an Argentina manager, I mean, he had a very, very short spell at Espanyol. But at Argentina, he didn't really do much other than win an Olympic gold tournament and... and uh, fall out of a pretty difficult group, in all honesty, in 2002 in the World Cup. With Chile, he played a great brand of football and progressed a little bit, but at Bilbao, there was one great year where he got to Europa League final and a Copa del Rey final, but the season after he left, they finished in the Champions League places, their best season of yet. Um, Marseille had a great, what, five months under his stewardship and it all went downhill from there. There was the brief flittering with Lazio and it's never really worked out with Lille. Is he very much in the boat now of, say, Louis van Gaal of being over the hill? That's a great question, Nathan. And I, I appreciate that it's challenging. I, I think that I, it's sort of a mixed bag. I think that he's got some interesting ideas. I appreciate the fact that he's willing to bring some of these younger players on board. Uh, the likes of an Araujo, the likes of Edgar Aie, I even though I was poor on Monday, I I think that he has a good eye for spotting talent, but when it's a complete clear out like he's done at Lille, and I know some of those players, you know, the likes of Mavuba, Julian Palmieri, probably Vincent Anyama too, as much as that. Sorry, Andrew Gibney, if you're listening. Uh, is, I mean, some of those players had to go, but to make a complete clear out to not to not bring in a recognized center forward, to not have a recognized center forward. I know Nicola Pepe's started to turn a corner a little bit in terms of his goal scoring, but I know they sold your favorite Nicola de Preville, Nathan. Um, many, many tears were shed. Uh, but in all seriousness, it, it, there's not a cohesive plan here. He didn't have, he hasn't had a recognized left back. He's used uh, Paulo Torre, who's been terrible every time I've watched Lille. Maybe he was better in a match or two that I've missed, but he seems like he's making tons of errors and I think that Bielsa's faith in young players and faith in his ability to improve players sometimes frankly outweighs reality I don't think that's always the case I think he does have a good eye for talent but the fact of the matter is it, for a project like Lille if you're getting things wrong and you're you're and and with a team that's expecting to win now without maybe even really a, defi a defined favor for second at this point in the league. If, you, if, you, if we look at how Monaco have fallen off a little bit this season, that's got to be immensely frustrating to have spent that amount of money and to not be getting anywhere close to the results you want because of, I mean, call it pig-headedness. Like, I think that's what it is on Bielsa's part to, 
make these decisions time in and time out, and you you see him shuffling players in and out at will, playing them in strange, playing them in different positions. And I think I think I have to come down on the side of yes, Nathan. I, I think that Bielsa in the modern game where you can't watch a bunch of VHSs and, and appreciate the, the players, the way a player's talent can convert into their league. Bielsa frankly does look like a dinosaur that he doesn't, he can't take a holistic approach to squad building being given that much money this summer. And we look at, you know, some of the money that Leon have spent, for example, I think mo- by and large, their buys have worked out superbly well. They spent a comparable amount of money to Leal. I think that just speaks for itself as to how Bielsa is getting it wrong on a lot of levels. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned Balotore playing at left back. I think every game I've seen Leo play, they've played Thiago Maia there, which is the exciting young Brazilian that we all wanted to see playing wonderful attacking football, stuck at left back and giving away penalties or getting sent off. That's the only way he's really worked. And it's it's that inability to adapt now, he wants to play that three-three-three-one. That's his formation. If you don't fit in that formation, then I will try and force you into that formation. Is not the way to go anymore, unfortunately. You can adapt that formation in so many different ways to get better out of the players he's got, but he, he just doesn't seem to want to or feel the need to, and that's the problem. That In the modern game, the best managers adapt when they need to. I mean, the only one who sticks to... Even even the the people who think think that like Pep Guardiola sticks to one formation and tries one style, he does adapt his players around where he wants to play football. And and, and Bielsa and uh, the comparison I made to Van Gaal, it's just those two both were too entrenched in their own ideas not to open their minds to the new possibilities. But and they have a really difficult game. I mean, at the weekend, uh, Sam against Montpellier, who've been terrific in well, especially against big opponents. I mean, they got another draw, and I know it sounds like the most anticlimactical thing that they got a draw against a big side. I mean, they've shut out Monaco. Well, they've shut out Monaco. They've they've shut out PSG. They shut out Lyon. They're they are really great at being a, a very solid defensive side, led by a forty year old centre back. It's it's insane. They are. They're very good. They know what they're doing, and they they. They just execute their objectives really well, but they're not just defensive. They're not just sit behind the ball, fight, hoof it up the pitch. Against Leon, they could easily have won that game. Leon were, were poor. They were very underwhelming after what we'd seen coming off that 5 0 Derby win to be as sort of stale as they were. It was disappointing, but Montpellier made them that way. And, and as you said, they've done that the same to, to other big clubs already this season. They know how to do that, and the times we've seen them run into trouble have been against the the sides that maybe don't attack in the same way, maybe don't have the same quality that where Montpellier lose their way a little bit because they don't necessarily know how to react. And we saw them lose to Dijon, we saw them lose to Nantes, uh, even to Toulouse. Uh, there are problems there uh, in this approach because it's a, it's not one dimensional, but it's a bit limited. Um, but we just don't know how Lille are going to look this weekend. It's, it's very difficult to make any sort of guesses as to how this game might shake out because if Bielsa's not there and an assistant manager is in place, who knows what's going to happen? It's, it's a very, very intriguing game, really, on, on Saturday. It, it promises to be a, a little bit of an interesting one. See what Lille do. do can Montpellier build, build off another draw or are they going to sink back to the level against the, the teams they're playing against? Let's get some predictions. Uh, Adam, what do you think in this one? I have a funny feeling Leo might win this one, you know. I, I, I just, this is one of those weird things. I, I think Leo 1 0. Eric? 1 uh, 0 win for Montpellier. I think that this defense, again, we can be cagey about their first play against Leon, but they were missing Daniel Congre and Elias Scary, two of their important players. I think that uh, it's another clean sheet for Michel de Zakarian, who's really working wonders after underachieving with Rennes last season. Sam? Uh, I think Montpellier, again, uh, I think that's probably the, the sensible way to do it. Lille, you might get one of those sort of weird football things where a new manager comes in and a team just kicks up another gear. But Lille were poor and Montpellier know how to make a poor side, contain them and do enough to win. So I'll say 1-0 as well. 
I'm going to go for a nil-nil draw. I think that <laughs> this game has it absolutely written all over it. Montpellier are a great defensive side, but can't score goals. Lille are a little bit of a mess. They might do something interesting, but I think it might be a case of a lot of their games where they sort of flatter to deceive and Montpellier keep them off and they just miss all their chances as well. I think that's a unfortunately what might be quite an exciting or interesting nil-nil at least that might, that might sell it a little bit better um on to another interesting game in the multiplex and we'll, we'll leave the derby of the, the uh, between ren and not it will be interesting but we've talked about them fairly enough this season and one side i really wanted to talk about is is dijon adam i mean the last couple of weeks they've they've recorded back-to-back wins for the first time this season junior tavares scoring a double and scoring goals again this side slowly but surely after a a mixed bag of a start. They they didn't win for six games, but they're they're starting to find a little bit of a rhythm, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they are. And I I I think that they're doing Oliver Delario's done done, done done really well having sold Luis Tioni, who um who <laughs> hasn't scored yet for Zetien uh in, in what fifteen maybe games now, which is really quite incredible. Um, but I, I, I caught up with the game with Trois, I think it was even yesterday, actually, that they won 3-1 at the weekend. And, and at home, they always look like they can cause teams teams trouble. And I think that's, that was a big weapon of theirs last year. And it seems to be something that is developing again this season. And um, although, obviously, Trois aren't exactly the, the, a league and heavyweight by any means, but Dijon were good value for their 3-1 win, although it was an open, it was an open game and there were chances for both teams. That they they've got sources of goals in this team even without Diony and you look at Neo City who has who has been injured for the last three games but he's done really well on loan. Um, uh, as you mentioned, Tavares there is has adapted to to playing without his partner in Diony and, and is is amongst the goals again. Um, they just look like a side that at home can can really cause teams issues and with that the bottom half of the table looking so so close. You've got Rans sorry Ren are on 11th with 15 points and Leo are 19th with 12. There's only three points between those eight teams. That it's going to be extremely tight and, and you have a feeling that if Dijon can keep up that home form and keep putting teams under pressure as they, as they come to come to Dijon then they'll be okay in terms of relegation this season. Obviously there's a long way to go and that, that's very very close but it seems like that's that's definitely an edge both goal scoring which is very unusual in league and you know although they they're not exactly the, the, the leading the league but in in the bottom half no one scored more than them you have to go up for up to wow up to ooh, Marseille I think to have someone that scored more goals than them in you know in in the bottom what 16 teams so it's very impressive and um it's it's a, it's the two things that will combine to hopefully keep them stay up to keep them in the league so they're they're decent to watch at home and they were deserve their three one win over Twa. They're, they're, they're sort of uh, not necessarily going to you know worry anybody too much, but they're a solid team and and uh, Delayo's gone and done a really good job. So hopefully they'll they'll keep that up for the rest of the season. Yeah, and it's great to see the the players that they've brought in. Like Naim Sleety's got two goals and two assists this season. Uh, Chang Hun Kwan as well has scored three goals, two assists. He looks like a, a tidy little player for them as well. They're just adding a little bit of extra quality to him. Xhaka's got a goal and assist as well. Um, he's a good player. I like him. I, I'm surprised Bielsa got rid of him. I was. He's good. Yeah, they look. They Eric. I know. I know that bottom half of the table is really congested at the moment. I mean, you. I know Adam mentioned up to eleventh, but you can look all the way up to really about about seventh. I think it was. I'm just going to check the table sixth? now. Sixth. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sixth. You look at Con in sixth on nineteen, all the way down to Lille are on twelve. I mean, if you just go outside the drop zone, Nice are on fourteen. That's only five points that separating an enormous amount of places. And I'm just looking at Dijon's fixtures. At least coming up, they've already played the top four at least this so far um, before Christmas. And they've got Toulouse, Amiens, Bordeaux are on a mixed bit of form. Gangomp, you never really know what you're getting from them. Same uh, same with Lille by that point. Angers, again, a team that can be different in week in, week out. There's a real chance for them to maybe pick up some real momentum now. They're starting to win more often and, and get in front in games and they're always likely to score. This could be a really interesting time for for Dijon and an important time for their for their fight against relegation. Yeah, I think you have to look also at uh, Adelio has always played attractive, positive football. I think we saw that last year with I me mean, again with Liz Malou with Dioni being integral parts of that side. But I think I think that we're continuing to see him approach this with the positivity. Uh, I love the signing of Sleety again. Chang Hoon, as you rightly mentioned, since coming in January has looked good. But let's look at this defense. Um, Cedric Yambere uh, was a bit part player for Bordeaux, but he looks back up to it, and so does Papi Gilles uh, uh on, lo- on loan from Sunderland. I-, I know he was sort of 
mocked by Chelsea fans when, upon the, his signing, but he was a really quality center back back when he was with Nantes. That hasn't changed from his time in England. And the fact that Dijon are doing this after losing Wesley Latoa um, for a lengthy amount of time is really impressive. And I think, I think that it's, it's a testament to Nantes, or not to Dijon's scouting team uh, and to Delio's uh, willingness to, to build this team. Uh, also, um, you know, the young, the young uh, fullback, Dantin Rosier, who's played both on the left and on the right, I think is really improving as well. He's kept Fouad Shafiq out of the team a lot of weeks, which, considering Shafiq's form of last season, was really impre- is really impressive as well. Um, and I think it, it, it shows a lot that you can, okay, maybe not succeed in, in Liga, but certainly be comfortably mid-table um, on really a shoestring budget. I think, I mean, Dijon's net spend has to be plus 12, plus 12 million this season. I think that Latoa and Iambari were the only players they spent money on. I, I might be wrong on that. Saeed, maybe they spent money on. But again, it's it's a pittance, and it's it's really, I mean, how Delio has not um, not had more of a, a chance or been linked to bigger jobs, given the work he's done at Dijon, is frankly somewhat surprising to me. Yeah, and, and like it, when you add to that defense, they've got Baptiste Rene in goal, who really had an excellent season, especially last season. They have a really interesting side that, when you look compare it to the other teams around that. A mid-table, but I don't think they they should really be worried about relegation. Yes, this next six to eight weeks up until the the winter break is really really important for them to keep some momentum going. But they they have a real chance of of being plenty in a way of that gap before them. But they face a side as well that have some have been really torrid for this season is maybe the best way to put it. I mean, even since September, I'm just looking at the results at the moment. They scored one goal in September. They scored two goals in Liga in October. Okay, they scored four against Clermont in the Cup, but I'm, I'm not giving them that. They scored one goal in November so far as well. So that's what, that's four goals in the one, two, three, four, five, six, eight games. Um, that just tells you where the problem is, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I mean, this is something we talked about at the start of the season. We worried about where the goals were going to come from in this team. I mean, they, they did sign some attackers. They signed Corentin Jean. They signed the legendary Arsenal centre-forward, Yaya Sanogo. Uh, but that, that hasn't really worked out. And the game last week against Mets was a, the perfectly encapsulated their problems. The opposition goes down to 10 men after 20 minutes, an opposition who aren't a great side with 11 men. You're at home. You have 70 minutes to break them down. And they just couldn't do it. Dupraz threw on more and more attackers, you know, he took risks to try and win the game and they just couldn't couldn't do anything. And this has consistently been Toulouse's problem all season. They should have beat Bordeaux, but they didn't because they just couldn't take their chances and end up losing the game. The only time when they've really played with some sort of abandon was that bizarre PSG game uh, where they ended up getting carted. Uh, it's very frustrating to watch Toulouse because it's, they are a team with more quality than most. When I mean, you look through that side, there's lots of good players. There's quality young players. They've got Lafon, the goalkeeper, Diop. There's Imbula, who's oh, wasn't great last week, but has shown his quality again. Jean will be will be a good player. There's plenty of quality, but just not enough. No cutting edge. They can't score goals, and it's just it's been it was a problem last season, and it's a problem again this season. And and as we said, they are tenth, but they're only three points away from 18th and they're not in a relegation battle yet but they're not that far away either yeah and this is the problem I think about this team as well at the moment I mean one because they're not scoring as many goals there's a little bit more pressure and a bit of a nervousness that's crept into the defence and, and Julian's performances this season I mean he's given a couple of really bad mistakes that have led to draws or losses and and that's really hindered them a little bit in some results but then you also look at the players like he brought Jimmy Dermaz on at 75 minutes at the weekend <laughs> I mean the, a player that that has played really well for his international side he's getting consistent games for Sweden and I know it, and they've made the World Cup and they beat Italy he's got that quality about him but yet he brings him on after 75 minutes after Gradel's not had the greatest game Jean's not had the greatest game it takes him that long to make a difference all press seems to do at the moment is rant and rave at the, on the sideline and wait for his team not to score and then throw a load of centre forwards on and, and hope for the best. I'm well, slightly said, worried. Yeah. Dupraz said after the game that 
his players lack courage, but you could argue that it's really the manager that lack courage. I mean, you're playing Mets at home. You probably don't need to start with that defensive aside. And once they go down, go at them. Because that's, Mets are not a good side. They're a side there to be beaten. And when they're 10 men, you really have to at least be threatening to score a goal. I think the biggest statement is what you well made point made there, Sam. That they played three midfielders. They played Somalia and Bula and Blin. Two of those are defensive midfielders. What what was the point? I mean, the fact that Mets went down to ten men after twenty three minutes and they couldn't score, and Mets didn't even make a sub until the final minute of the game, and it was one sub. They made one substitution. They didn't even bring on an extra defender when their defender was sent off. How bad must your team be attacking if a team that has a man sent off decides to make one sub at 90 minutes? That is... I think that's a slap in the face. If I was if I was Pascal Duprat, I'd be I'd be fuming at Furik Hans for for showing such such gall to do something like that. Really, can, can um, I come back on this a yeah, little bit? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so Dion was playing as a defensive midfielder. He wasn't playing as a defender, um, to be fair. Uh, and Kohad and Kafu can both play in front of defense. I think that they're very versatile midfielders. Also, I think in Toulouse's defense, I'm, I've been frustrated with the side as well, and this was one of the talking points from our, our column on Monday. Uh, but I think that we've seen Gradel miss, who was superb for Saint-Étienne, uh, it was the 14-15 season, I think, when he scored all those goals to almost put them in the Champions League. Um, He's been injured. Dermas has, has missed, I think, five games uh, as well through injury. And Alexis Bland suffered with injury as well. I mean, these are the players that we that I think Toulouse have been counting on for creativity and, and to have a, an influence in the attack. And I think that Dupre has been a little bit unlucky with injuries, so I think we shouldn't perhaps go too hard on him quite yet. If they're still showing this form come the turn of the year, then I think we really have to ask questions. But I think for the moment, I, I think it's difficult to – be quite so harsh on him. There have been some, certainly some mitigating uh, factors in the, in the last two months or so, uh, given the injuries that they've suffered. Yeah, it's, it's a really important part of the season. I mean, obviously, Dijon at the weekend, they've got Nice, Lille and, and Cohn coming up in the next three games. They have to start scoring goals. I mean, four goals in eight games it is a real, real disappointment. And I mean, they dominated Mets. They were pretty dominant against Saint-Étienne as well, where they drew nil-nil. They were. They probably should have won against Gangomp as well. But it's these little moments where they're they're losing games because they're not scoring enough. It, it's really going to punish them, and that leads perfectly on to predictions. Really, and it's an interesting game. One side that can't score goals, one side that can't stop scoring goals for one reason or the other. Uh, what do you think in this one, Sam? I think the way you've laid it out there, it's very difficult to argue against Dijon. We know Dijon play well at home. We know Toulouse don't travel particularly well. If Toulouse are going to target games to, to ratchet some points, this is probably not one of them. I think Dijon probably win this something like 1-0 because Toulouse will keep it tight. Eric? I have to say the same thing, but since we have to say different things, I'll go with the scoreless straw. I think that defense I mentioned for Dijon is going to continue to hold up their end of the bargain. Adam? Um, just very, also, I just wanted to add a very quick point on Toulouse. Mm -hmm. Oscar Trejo is a massive miss. No, no attack midfielder, no creativity midfield. The only creative player is Jan Bodega, who doesn't get a game, which is bizarre. And also, there's tenth in the league, and they've played PSG, Monaco, Marseille, and Bordeaux, which isn't bad. So there, there are caveats. They've been they've been poor, but there are caveats to the to their to their plight, if you like. Uh, I, I think Dijon. Go on, go yeah. on, Eric. Go on, sorry. I don't know why I say why they couldn't keep Trejo. He went to he went to Rio Vallecano. Yeah, they got relegated, yeah. didn't they? I don't get it. And they did replace yeah. him. So. Yeah, weird. 2-0 uh, Dijon for me, though. Mm, yeah, I, I think this is... This, I think Dijon like like these high-scoring, high-rolling games, but I don't think Toulouse will be up for it. Um, I, I think it might just be only a 1-0 win. I think Toulouse have still got a, a solid defence. I would wish in sort of games like this, because they, they are struggling to score goals, why don't they rely on their defence a little bit more, hold out and, and try and play on the counter maybe a little bit more with a, with a couple more players trying to attack with with freedom maybe try something a little bit different it's not really worked for them at the moment but move on to a another interesting game really on Sunday afternoon and, and that's Nice versus Leon um third versus well strangely enough at least for for some of verbers of of 17th for Nice at the moment um it's been an awkward start of the season to say the least really Sam for for Lucian Favre's men and they got another sort of awkward result at the weekend where they were pretty 
in all honesty, Conwood may be the better side for, especially in the second half, but they managed to nick a draw, which seems stranger, and, and it keeps them in this weird mix near the bottom of the table. Are they still not really finding themselves after what was a really, really bad October? Yeah, I mean, this is this appears to be the sort of second recovery phase. Uh, you know, they started the season disastrously. They came back together again. Then the unpleasantness against Marseille, the, the, the strangest game just about you'll ever see, set them off on a terrible run. But now they're at least, they are three games without defeat. The Kong game wasn't a great one, but tonight against Zulta, they've done the job in Europe. That's good. Seri playing again, Balotelli scoring again. Things perhaps are coming together again, but you, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for so much from this Nice team because we saw so much last season and we still have hopes to, to see some of that again. And they're flittering. I mean, August was abysmal. They won one game in that entire month. Then they won almost every game in September, then lost every game in October. They're very streaky at the moment. I mean, and in all honesty, they should probably thank Remy Verkutere for the uh, draw at Conn because if he'd not moved out of the way of Pierre <laughs> Melis shot, they would have lost that game with uh, Ronnie Rodland's superb strike in the last couple of minutes. But they, they're coming against the Lyon side, Eric, that they were really stifled and they weren't on really on their top of their game against Montpellier uh, anyway last week. But they are a side that can, with those attacking players, really, really punish sides that, like Nice have this season, sort of if they're lackadaisical in defence, if they don't play at their top level, Leon have the players to really hurt them. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that uh, we've seen... Nice look, you know, decent. I think the return of Seri, I think, is going to is going to bolster them. I think that, you know, that lengthy absence for him that was both of the Lazio matches, for example. Um, I know he was frustrating in the tie against Napoli, but I think he's generally been a real spark plug for Nice this season. That said, whether or not he'll play in this match after coming off of injury, I think there there remains some doubts around this match. I think that this looks like Leon will, will be in, in pretty good stead here. They'll want to continue that form especially knowing uh, that Monaco were probably not going to get a result against PSG later in the evening. Yeah, and that perfectly leads me on to my question for you, Adam. I mean, it's it's an interesting one that obviously the top two are facing each other. So it's it's a chance maybe for Leon to really sneak up on Monaco and, and join them on point should, uh, should the Principality side lose. It's, it's an intriguing game and, and a chance for them to maybe show that the form they've had in the recent weeks is paying off. Yeah, I, I think I think that second place is very much up for grabs. And we talked earlier in the in the pod about whether Monaco should have put the, all those in. And Eric mentioned that, whether they should have put all their eggs in one basket and gone for the the Champions League or, or Ligue 1. And it seems like on the face of it, I was sort of thinking at the time when we were talking about that, perhaps it might have made sense to put their, you know, to go for the Champions League and see if they could, you know, make headway in that competition. But perhaps one of the reasons they they haven't in recent games is because they're worried about Leon and that second place is still an automatic Champions League qualifying spot and that third place I think is well it's obviously a qualifying spot but they have to play at least two rounds and with all the, the rejigging of places so you know they're going to want to keep Leon at bay and that Leon side is really gelling really well in in the last sort of month or two and you, you look at how how well they how good they could be and the, the fact they could develop as this season goes on and Monaco could be under real pressure from Leon as it, you know when we hit the new year and move into spring and they 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 might not finish second so perhaps that's one of the reasons why they they have you know focused on playing their their sort of first choice 11 or the best 11 possible for the most for the most part in both competitions because Leon are catching them and it would be nice to see it would be nice to see those two teams fighting out for their second place um, behind PSG but yeah you're absolutely right it's a definite chance for but for for Leon to, to catch Monaco and 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 surpass them and take that second place and it'd be an interesting storyline as as the season unfolds. Yeah, and it does feel it still feels a little bit weird thinking that counting Nice out of it. I think at the moment without the streaker they are, it's it's maybe at your peril. But that you never really know what side's going to turn up. Is it going to be that side that seems to thump everyone by Lazio in the in the Europa League, or is it this team that is really maligned in in the small in the strangeness of their season so far. Um, Eric, what's your prediction this one? A 3-1 to Leon. Sam? Uh, I'm going to go 3-0 Leon. Adam? 3-2 Leon. I'm going to go 4-0, I think, Leon. Uh, this Nice side is, is too streaky for me. and There's just something that seems to be off about them. I, I don't know if uh, 
if Lucian, if not a job offer opens up for Lucian Favre, he might, he might leave before, by the sort of winter break. It just seems to maybe have taken this Nice far as far as he as he can. The big game though on Sunday and Sunday evening is the absolute big one between the top two. It's Monaco versus Paris Saint Germain. Obviously, a, an important game for the away side, Sam, um, in the sense that a win here against Monaco against the side at their ground as well could really knock the stuffing out of them and maybe tie up the title already? It's probably a little bit early to to roll out the uh, the bunting for the, the title celebration, but you do make a good point. If they if they can see off Monaco, they're the only team that was able to embarrass them last season, the only team that we, we thought this season could really push them. And as we say now, perhaps Leon are the are the team to beat and perhaps if PSG do vanquish Monaco, they open the door for Leon to to become the chasing force. But yeah, this is uh, it's a big opportunity to really just put the foot on the throat uh, and really just make a really big statement that PSG are not messing about at all. Yeah, Eric, you would pick this game out at the start of the season as being the, probably PSG's most important game away at the Stade Louis Deux against against the current reigning champions. But obviously that sort of perspective has shifted a little given Monaco's recent form. But again, a win here is that kind of statement that's saying that PSG... We've mentioned at times this season, much like last week, where they were maybe a little bit lucky to really score four past Nantes. There was a couple of deflected goals, a couple of uh, lucky sort of own goals and deflections. This is one of those games where if they do win and win comfortably, it's a it's a real statement. Yeah, I think so, especially considering given the issues with, uh, with depth they're going to be facing in midfield. I think that it's with the absence of Thiago Mata, I think that it's important that PSG record a win here uh, and get some space for themselves. Uh, I think we're right to not consider the title as being done. But that being said, where PSG could start to falter is being involved in, in four competitions, the league, both cups, and the Champions League into the new year, uh, if Mata is continue, does continue to be absent. Last I heard, he was supposed to be back in January or February. I don't know if any of you gents have heard differently, um, but he... But it is, it is a serious issue given that neither Rabio nor Verratti is really a defensive midfielder. There was that guy they signed with his name, Kokoviak. Oh, right. Whatever happened to him? Too bad that didn't work out or they would have had some depth. Uh, but it is important to PSG get this win um, to really put themselves in a good, good, salute, good station to be able to rotate um, when those more important uh, cup matches come about in the new year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they try and deploy that same kind of tactic they did with Angers with, with Rabio, maybe being a bit more defensive to see if that works. But it's a it's a tough ask. I mean, we, we have bemoaned that Monaco's form has dipped this season, Adam, for, for numerous ways, but they're still a very dangerous side. I mean, they only a couple of weeks ago, they put they scored six, but they also drew against Amiens at the, at the weekend. It wasn't the greatest of games. I mean... Again, Amiens could have probably nicked that as, as a win as well. You're just not really sure what side that Jardim's going to play in and what, what side's going to turn up as well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But I think this this sort of game is does suit Monaco to some extent in that um, the thing about their, the, the, the thing with their sort of those players that were so effective going forward last season leaving is that one well, byproduct of that is that they are struggling to break teams down that sit in against them and teams that want to counter-attack against them. And, and teams that sort of, you know, exploit the spaces that are available at fullback areas, which PSG will obviously do as well. But Monaco have played better in games where they've had space to run into themselves and they haven't they haven't been playing against the, the parking of the bus and they, they've had that uh, the sort of scope to, 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 to give their attacking players space to, to play their game. And, you know, they, that they've beaten, the, obviously they lost at Lyon, but they, they beat Bordeaux and they beat Marseille 6-0. Um, and those sort of games that they've actually played, you know, veteran and scored more goals in. So I think this game will suit them because obviously PSG will obviously come at them and expect to win the game, and Monaco will exploit that. And that will this current version of Monaco that that sort of suits them down to the ground. To the ground. So it could be a relatively high-scoring game and an exciting one, I hope. And one that Monaco, although their form has been very, you know, very indifferent in, in, at, at times, they won't be scared of, and and they'll they'll. they'll they, they won't pay PSG too much respect. So I think it's a game that could play into their hands, perhaps. But, um, 
uh, obviously that that's that's me perhaps maybe hoping a little bit for this for the, the, the title race to remain open a bit longer but even so i think there's there's something to be had for monaco in this game and it'll be interesting to see how shadin plays it yes especially given the the big games they have already had this season against marseille and against leon where they did struggle for, for long periods of those games and they nicked a draw at, at marseille and they and they two um goals and, and a little bit of it uh, well, a, a damp squib in the last 15 minutes again, really against Leon that sort of secured that victory. But let's get some predictions in this one. Sam? Uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I feel like PSG might really just put a spanking on Monaco. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 5-0 PSG. Adam? Uh, I'm going to be hopeful and say 4-3 PSG. Eric? Goals, goals and goals. 3-1 three, three, PSG. I'll be a little more modest, but yeah, it's hard to see past the leaders winning. Yeah, I, I'm seeing a 4-2. I, I, I bet Monaco really hoping that either Sidibe can be fit, well, uh, but more likely at least anyway, Traore be, be recovering from his illness because I'm I'm just imagining that Raji had a tough time against Gakpe last weekend. <laughs> I'm just imagining him trying to take on Neymar might give him nightmares for the rest of his uh, Probably not long career, at least anyway, now given his age, but that's, that does put the frighteners on me, at least anyway. Uh, that's all for this week. My thanks to Adam, uh, Sam, Eric, and all of you listening at home. Join us for the main show on Monday, but for now, have a good weekend of football. <laughs>